ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರೂಪಿಣೆ ಅವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾ ನಮಃ ವಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನ ಕಂಕ್ಲೂಡೆಡ್ the third chapter of the bhagavad gita namely the karma yoga in which we found that bhagwan was insisting that karma is not a matter of choice it is imperative and he gave four reasons the first is that we cannot remain even for a moment without work nahi kashchit kshanam api jatu tishthatya karmakrit in some way or other we have to work even when i am sitting idly i have to breathe as long as i'm awake my eyes are winking my heart is beating so even without our conscious decision the body to its for its maintenance has to work it is constantly working so that is the first reason that we cannot stay without work so as per my own sustenance is concerned work is a must and not only that as per the sustenance of the society is concerned there also work is a must he brings in the idea of yagya that it is a question of the or existence is a question of interbeing interconnectedness where we synergize to thrive to survive it's a question of win win situation that we all are interacting with the entire world with a sense of yagya that's the second the third is that if we somehow take a resolution that i am not going to act that in our scripture it is it does mention that meditation is a way gyana is a way i will resort to discrimination what is nitya what is anitya what is eternal what is ephemeral and i will contemplate on the real nature of my existence the core of my being i will meditate on that and i will live a life of seclusion bhagwan is insisting a very has very strongly saying know it for certain that will be mithyachara mithyachara in two way it can be translated we can say it's a hypocrisy that's a general translation another translation is that sometimes we feel i'm not a hypocrite i'm trying my best but again and again i fail but it's i'm trying it's not that i'm not sincere i'm not i'm not trying to make a just a pose that i am a religious person i sincerely want to be religious but i find that the so called the vagaries of the mind they do come and again and again distract me breaks my meditation so mithyachara can be translated as futile attempt mithya achara achara means all the practices mithya however you try you will be just going round and round the circle you try you feel that i am going to succeed again you will find you are sliding down as we told in that last class an example sri ramakrishna used to give an example that as long as the desires are there in our mind consciously or subconsciously it is there without desires we wouldn't have taken birth the birth means there are some desires so as long as the desires are there it is almost impossible to have a unbroken meditation the meditation which has no as such interruption 
tail adhara what in scripture they say just like the pouring of the oil when i'm pouring oil from one vessel to another vessel there is no interruption for most of us it is impossible we will find that as the desires are there like a mongoose which the children have mischievously tied some stone in the tail of a mongoose that's example sri ramakrishna gives that on the tail of the mongoose the children have tied some stone and the mongoose its hole is bit above the wall wall there's a hole where it resides now whenever it tries to go inside the weight of the stone pulls it back again and again and we will all realize that's our condition however we try we fail again and again and that's the thing which bhagwan is saying is mithyachar futile attempt you know it for certain that unless to certain extent chitta shuddhi has been undergone your mind is spontaneously calm however you may try your this all the basal instincts they will pull you down so to try to proceed in the spiritual life without work without any action know it for certain it will be a futile attempt mithya achara and the last thing he says that oh then most probably when i am realized okay action is required with that as a preparation i attained to certain extent chitta shuddhi and then that takes me to spiritual illumination spiritual realization and then most probably i can relax i can i need there is no need for me to do action bhagwan again is stressing a very important thing when you go to that step that's the idea which will be spoken of in the fourth chapter which we are going to start that action in in action in action in action what is that that once you have went to the realization you are fully aware of the fact that you are the self this body mind complex because of its past samskaras because of the interaction of the three gunas the stimuli response conditioning it will act in a particular way but i have developed a total segregation from the body mind complex as sri ramakrishna used to say a illumined soul is just like a ripened coconut an unripe coconut you will find it is almost impossible to separate the shell from the kernel they are intertwined but the moment it gets ripened the more it gets ripened the shell gets separated from the kernel you take the coconut in your hand and you just shake it you will find that it is totally separated so for a realized soul the core of his being the self he knows it for certain is in no way affected whatever the body mind complex may be going through as per the circumstances of life he experiences the inaction inaction that the self always the deep within the ocean it's always calm all the disturbance is only in the surface so when he realizes that then there he has no more inclination for either resorting to action or inaction nor that he won't be resorting to inaction because he is even when he is in action he is established in his self and he is in peace when sri ramakrishna was suffering from intense cancer that intense suffering because of the cancer when someone when anyone is to ask him sir how do you feel his answer used to be shorir tar dukho jane mon tumi anande thako the body knows its suffering the mind be at bliss so he has separated the mind from the body he knows that art so know it for certain the spiritual realization is not anesthesia that i don't anymore realize the pains and suffering of my physical existence i do i do experience but i have developed that sense of detachment spiritual evolution doesn't mean that we regress back to the state of a veggie we just take a cauliflower you take a cabbage and put a knife on it it won't react does spirituality mean something like that that we become like a cabbage there is no reaction no we do feel the pain but we know the pain is of the body it doesn't affect my mind if you read the life of sri ramakrishna so many examples are there when his nephew was dying he was on his deathbed ramakrishna was sitting near him 
the moment he left his body, Ramakrishna was saying that I saw that the soul is departing, the body is left off. There is no death of the soul, of the real self. There is no death. Seeing that, I started laughing. I just started laughing. I had a hearty laugh. And then the next day, after it's a blood relation, it's a blood relation, somehow I find that emotions are welling up. My memories came back, my association with my nephew, he was a very loving child. So all those memories came back and I felt that someone is as if uh, twinching, please. See, somehow is as if ringing, ringling my uh, heart just the way we wringle a wet towel. Just see the one who was in ecstasy the previous day. He saw that the self is leaving the body, there is no death of the soul. The next day, he do, does feel the pain. Because after all, I we are in the family, we have relations. So here, the thing we have to understand is that I experience. But I experience just as an onlooker. When you have some pain, I can feel that you have a pain, but I cannot feel the pain. I know that uh, it is something, something objective. Similarly, this real self can see the body is going through the suffering, but it can be totally detached. Swami Turiyananda, another direct disciple of Ramakrishna, he developed a lot of uh, this abscess on his back. And at last the doctors prescribed that it has to be operated. There has to be some surgery. And now when it was suggested that he, that, they are, that you have to go through some general anesthesia because they have to operate on it. He told, no, I, I, I never liked the idea of this anesthesia. But I am a yogi. He's after all a, he was an adept yogi. So that some medicine will take him to that state of unconsciousness. He never liked it. But they told, how can we operate? He told, before operation, just mention me that we are going to operate on you and give me some time, I will give you an indication, you operate. And it's not once, three, four operations were done that way. He will just say, it's not that he is having some anesthetic by meditation, he's going to some state of anesthesia, no. He's fully aware, but he goes to a state of meditation where he can be just observing. The stimuli response condition is not working. The reflection has changed. The spiritual, uh, Evolution do speak of that. In spiritual journey, you will find that Ramakrishna, when he was practicing, he took the resolution he won't touch metal. And this resolution became so much internalized, even unconsciously, if he touched some metal, his hand will be repelled. Just see, the reflex has changed, totally reflex has changed. So that speaks of spirituality. It's not that you are not aware, you are not, you have developed some anesthesia. You have got established in such a realization where you know the body-mind is going through all the so-called uh, dualities of existence, but I am in no way affected by them. And you can as if detach yourself from that. Before that, to say that I am the self itself can be a, a just something, an audacity. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that you go on verbally saying that I am the self but a small thorn pricks you and you shout. What is that? What's the use of saying that you are the self? That identification is still there. So that's the thing Bhagavan is saying that when you go to that state, you have realized it's separate, but then also there is no need to leave out the action. Why? Because you have become the role model for the entire society. What you do, the society will follow. Now for you, there is no question of action or inaction. Because you know, after it is the body-mind complex because of its past association going through certain procedure. I am in no way attached to it. So why should, why should you simply renounce action? Let the action go on. You can realize inaction in action and continue with your action with a sense of loka sangraha. That loka sangraha for the integrity of the society. Because you are the role model. What you do, the others will follow. If you leave out action, the others also will think that's the highest step. And Swami Vivekananda used to say, the easiest, the shortest route to tamas is the sattva. 
the feigning of sattva. That you have an idea that I am very sattvic and it is the easiest way which can take us to the tamas. It is the shortest route. It is a slip shot. So that's why this for the four reasons. In the last class also we were discussing these four reasons. That we cannot sustain ourselves without action. We cannot sustain the society without action. We tend to be hypocrite or our attempt becomes futile if we try to live out action and just live a life of contemplation. You will find that you in no way can succeed. And the fourth is, even when you have reached the state of highest illumination, as a role model for the integrity of the society, for Loka Sangra, still you can continue with the action for which he gives himself as the example, as Janaka, King Janaka as the example. And then he speaks of the essence of Karma Yoga, the three things. What are the three things? That relinquishing the desire for the enjoyment, that is Nirashi. And then relinquishing the ego, Nirmamo, Adhyatma Chetasa. Be always attuned to yourself, Adhyatma Chetasa. And Nirmamo, try to develop the sense of selflessness that ego should fall off. Don't identify yourself with this limited existence of your body-mind complex. You are something beyond that. So that's Nirmamo, Nirahankara and Adhyatma Chetasa. And whatever you do, offer all the actions to the Divine. Why? Because we always, the sense of doership is, you will find, is a delusion. The mother feels the mother loves the child. Just the example we give again and again. As long as she feels she loves the child, she is going to suffer. When the child grows, any little, even a small, harsh word from the child makes the mother suffer, makes the father suffer a lot. Why? They thought we did so much of thing. But we forget one thing. Did really the mother did? Did really the father did anything? We will find that our genes are altruistic. That in your heart that love has been implanted. Can you ever take the credit for the love which you feel? When I am passing through the street, I see a beggar. I feel compassion welling up. Can you take the credit of that compassion? That somehow, if you take the bigger picture, if you say God is there, who has created the entire universe, he could have programmed it in such a way that we never feel love. We could have done it. It is he who has programmed that love, something which wells up from my heart, for which I can never say it is I who am loving. He has created the creation. The Lord has created the creation in such a way. What to speak of human? Any creature, any creature, you'll find the mother is ready to give love, life for the, for the small ones, for the young ones. Whether it's a deer, whether it's any animal, you will find when the predator is attacking, the mother will save the child, is ready to give the, her own life. So from where that came, it has been implanted in our heart. Previously it was told that the genes are selfish, but now they have started saying that our genes are altruistic. There are some factor of altruism in our genes. It is ingrained there. We do feel that love. That is something inbuilt in us. So if it is something for this creation, for the sustenance of the creation, if Lord has implanted that love in us, so that with that love the mother takes care of the child, is she really the one who is loving? No. She is just the instrument. God is taking care of her creation by implanting that love in the heart of the mother. And it is God's work that is being done. We are just the instrument. And if that's the case, then why should I expect the result? I have done the work I was supposed to do. Rest all is yours. Whatever will be the result, it has nothing to do with me. It is you for sustaining your creation have done whatever has to be done through me and then I offer it to you. It's easier said than done. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Tablar bol mukhe bola shahoj hate anakotin. That is very difficult to really, when you when you're learning the percussion tabla, the teacher comes and says you the rhythm and immediately the bowl, immediately you say it, it just takes five minutes, not even five minutes. You can memorize and just repeat it. And now the teacher says, just play it. It will take months. It will take months to really break it in the hand. It is really difficult. 
but at the same time the teachers do say it is difficult but it is possible so you have to have shraddha in the words of the teacher that it is difficult but it is possible the first day when the teacher comes and says that it is possible but the student finds he is failing repeatedly and he thinks the teacher is just simply soothsaying, is just speaking some words to please me. Most probably it's not possible. If he doesn't have faith in himself, if he doesn't have faith in the words of his teacher, he will never learn. But if he takes it for granted that yes it is difficult but it is possible, then he is these three things Swamiji says in spiritual life we need. Three P. Purity, patience, perseverance. With this three P when you go on, you will find the transformation, the process of transformation has started within us. Our entire personality starts getting overhauled. So for that we should have patience, perseverance and for patience and perseverance we have to have Shraddha. With that Shraddha when we pursue it is possible. So that's the thing which Bhagavan is saying, that it is possible, it is difficult. Climbing the top, uh, on the top of the Everest is very difficult, but it is possible. Difficulty doesn't mean impossibility. It is difficult, but it is possible. So if you have faith, you can do that. Now, it is after saying all these things, Arjuna still has, is supposed to have doubt. Because in those days, what was the tradition, what was the... Uh, background of the society that those who have desire for some results of the action they go for the karma marga and those who have developed a certain renunciation even that idea is still there they totally renounce the karma marga and go to a total what you say a seclusion leave the life of a recluse this synthesizing karma with your contemplation. That was not the idea of the day. So naturally Arjuna was confused, still confused. That what Bhagavan is saying, is it something which is just some, uh, uh, to appease me, to make me fight, to motivate me to fight. He's creating some philosophy. It is something self-styled. Which philosophy most probably is not well experimented. He's just trying to make me the scapegoat and as if I am the one who is going to, I am the guinea pig for this experiment. Is it so? With this confusion in the mind, with this doubt in the mind, Bhagavan senses it. And with this, he will now proceed to the fourth chapter. With, with that, as an introduction, we will now go to that fourth chapter. So just to say that it is not something new. This idea of synthesis of karma and jnana, that the wisdom and action, it is there for ages together. He says it is me, this chapter will start with that idea, it is me who gave this knowledge at the very beginning of the creation to the sun. The sun again imparted the same knowledge to Manu, the progenitor of the entire humankind. And Manu then taught it to Ikshaku, the first king of the Surya dynasty. So this, with this he will start this chapter. Why he is starting with this, this idea that it is a very knowledge of the past for ages together, from the very beginning of this uh, creation. This knowledge is there because it is coming down through tradition. Parampara. It's, there are two types of transition. One is the transmission of knowledge, another is the biological transmission. The parampara speaks of the transmission of the knowledge from the teacher to the disciple. It's going on. It's very authentic, well experimented. The teacher imparts this knowledge to the student only when he has got established in it. He has experimented through his life and then he imparts to his teacher. It's just like patenting any medicine. That why Bhagavan is starting this chapter is to explain the fact that do it for certain. It is not that I am experimenting with some new way. It is already a patented way. How you patent a medicine? That if some new medicine, if I, if I test only one person and he is cured, that doesn't make that medicine authentic. 
you have to have at least 100 case studies where the percentage of cure should be 90% or more. Then only you can patent it. So to say that this knowledge, this path is a patented one. Many have gone through this. It is a well-experimented path. So Bhagavan Krishna starts this chapter with this idea. It is me who imparted. And naturally Arjuna is having doubt again that how come Krishna say that he imparted it to Surya? Because he is my contemporary. He is almost of my age. That now this is the idea. All the, you know, this, we generally think there is only one Gayatri Mantra. Actually, there are so many Gayatris. And all the Gayatris, what's the Gayatri? Gayatri is a Chanda. It is a rhythm. In our, <laughs> Swami Vivekananda used to make a lot of fun. You know, he used to say in Sanskrit, they used to say, in Sanskrit, the meet, uh, rhythming is like in meters. That uh, if you have, a, a, what you say, some stanzas, there will be exactly, like in entire Bhagavad Gita, almost all the slokas are in Anushtup Chanda. But there are four phrases, each couplets, each verse will have four phrases, and each phrase will have exactly eight meters. It's very difficult to compose the entire Bhagavad Gita. This is really the genius, this speaks of the genius of this, all these who have really uh, put down those ideas in words. It speaks of a great genius. So this chanda, this Gayatri is also a chanda. There will be three phrases in each sloka, exactly three, and each phrase will have eight meters. And it's very interesting. The Gayatri mantra itself is an exception. You will find this, the so-called Gayatri is an exception because it does first it has seven, then eight, then eight. It is not eight, eight, eight. And there are so many other Gayatris which exactly have eight, eight, eight. Any, all those, uh, these mantras like uh, uh, like uh, what you say that uh, this vidmahi dhimahi prachodayat wherever you find these three words you know this is a Gayatri what's the idea of that Gayatri that I, when I say that we use say Ramakrishna Gayatri we have we, we pray what's that Ramakrishnaya vidmahi that I know him as a person he was born at certain point of time he died as a being he died in certain point of time, he did some spiritual practices. That's the human being that I know. The next line is Dhimahi. I don't, I know that physically I'm seeing him as this person, but his real nature is something different. Ramakrishna Vidmahi Gadadharaya Dhimahi. He's actually Gadadhara. That he's of divine origin. That his father went to Gaya and meditated on this uh, Gadadhar, he came to his dream and told I will be born as his son. So it is of the divine origin. So he is actually divine. Tanno hangsa prachodayat. That who is meditating on it? Not me. Not me as this physical being. Me as the self which is again eternal. Ramakrishna is not eternal. Gadadhar is eternal. I meditate on Gadadhar. Who is meditating? Not again me. The real essence in me, the self, that is the hangsa. That is meditating on. What's the idea? In Bible, in simple words, it has been mentioned. Worship the spirit by the spirit. All the Gayatri speaks of that. Worship the spirit by the spirit. Take the form. Behind the form, some reality is there. So now, here also Arjuna is saying the form. But behind the form, some reality is there. That he couldn't conceive. So then Bhagavan will bring the idea of Yoga Maya, Guna Maya. That I am that eternal being who, as per the need of the time, incarnate again and again, resorting to the yoga maya. The word maya is very interesting. Maya means, ya means yatha yatha. If I can see a thing as it is, that is ya. But we can never see anything as it is. It is our mind, it is our senses, which is projecting the reality as we see it. It's all consensus reality. So, ma is in the sense of negation, that we can never see it as it is. When the Lord incarnates as a physical being, that is not the real nature which I am seeing. He has resorted to his own maya to take the physical form, which I see, which, by which Arjuna is getting bewildered. This is, a, this is Krishna. 
But the real Krishna is something beyond that. By resorting to Yoga Maya, he comes down and sports with the human being, interacts with human being. That's called Leela. Why this Leela? That the Absolute comes down, resorting to Leela, so that we can hold on to the Leela and climb up. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very nice thing, that suppose you have drowned, you are drowning, you have fell into a river and you are about to drown, and someone throws a chain. So what's, how you survive, how you save yourself, you hold on to the rungs of the chain and then you climb up, isn't it? So lila dhore dhore nityava. That's right. To hold onto the rungs of the chain means you hold onto the lila. This God's divine play. And with holding onto that, that takes you to the absolute. So God comes down so that we can move up. So that's the play of the divine. So here Bhagavan, that's why this chapter is called Jnana Yoga. He makes Arjuna aware of his divine nature. Not only that, his own divine nature and the each and every being's essence that also is divine and the eternal communionship with the self, the self with the Paramatma, Atma and the Paramatma. So this knowledge he will be revealing to Arjuna. That's why this chapter is Jnana Yoga. So Bhagavan is saying that you also came resorting to Gunamaya, that as per your desires, you were gravitated to this birth. When we come by being gravitated by our desires, we have come down to this physical existence as if we are forced. We can never remember our past. Why? Our desires makes us move outwards. You know, the past is all, for all of us, the past is there, hidden in our mind. But why don't we see it? Just take an example. Suppose in this room we close all the windows and the doors, it becomes dark, and through a projector, you project on a screen some movie. And then someone comes and suddenly uh, just opens all the windows and the doors and the light starts coming in. Can you see anything? You cannot see anything. But is the picture there? It's still there. We are, but all the light comes and it floods and you cannot see the picture which is in the screen. So for us, our doors and windows are all open. We are interacting with the world. Our desires makes us to move outwards. Because we are all after the prayer, thinking it to be the prayer. That in Upanishads they say, we constantly confuse the prayer as the prayer, the pleasurable as the preferable. Very nice. That's words that has been translated by Gambhirananda. That prayer is pleasurable, prayer is preferable. We always take the pleasurable to be the preferable. And that's how we move out. And the past is still, it's supposed to be visible to all. But we don't see it because of this constant interaction with the world. We get totally involved in it. But the avatar, he is just acting and acting. He comes down. He is always aware of his divine nature. He knows the purpose of his birth. With that, he is interacting with the world. So once you become aware of my real nature, you will find in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, in one place Ramakrishna is saying that the mind, so-called inner circle, they won't have to do much. They just have to know who I am and who they are and what's the relation between these two. Once they know, the work is done. So just the same thing Bhagavan will indicating Arjuna here. That yes, that I am not the being as you're seeing as your friend. The real nature, essence is something is divine. I resorted to the divine, my maya, yoga maya and have came down for serving certain purpose, for the welfare of the being. That all these ideas, this paritranaya, sadhunang, vinashaya, chadashkritam, all these ideas will come in this chapter. So this is the idea that for the well-being of the entire society, he comes down. And once you know that, then you are no more an ordinary worker. You know you are, a, you are an instrument in the hand of divine. God is working through you. And then you become the divine worker. Who is the divine worker? The one, as we were saying, the one, though in the constant mad rush of action, the action like a war, the Rajarshis, this tradition was actually, came through the Rajarshis. Who, who, who is a king? Ikshaku, he's a king. 
in that uh, tradition so many kings are being born who are practicing the uh, knowledge which bhagwan is imparting so it is in the mad rush of action they are still enjoying the silence of contemplation uh, this contemplation in the world of action so this is the knowledge once you know it then you will know what is this he will say that there are three types of karma in this chapter karma akarma vikarma vikarma means forbidden action that we have to forsake now this dharma has two meaning one is dharayati iti dharma that which integrates us holds us so in that sense there are some do's and don'ts that the things which uh, are forbidden don't do it you may say these are all man made these are not man made when the creation is there the creation always finds expression as rhythm there are some certain laws no one can break the laws no one can break the laws the laws if i can break the law it is no more a law if someone says that i don't believe in gravitation i don't believe and thinks now he jumps out of a 20 story building from the window of a 20 story building is he going to fly as he doesn't believe in gravitation he's not going to fly so whether i believe or not gravitation is there it is going to act on me so all those do's and don'ts are based on some ethical principles which we can never break in the gospel of sri ramakrishna we find someone asks ramakrishna is there anything called absolute truth he is saying yes there is some absolute truth and then what is it ramakrishna never gives a direct answer he gives a very nice answer suppose you are Uh, having your meals you're sitting on the table you're having your meals and in a separate plate some chili has been kept now it's your choice whether i will take the chili or not it's my choice i may take i may not take but i will take the chili i will enjoy its flavor but i i don't like that hot sensation i like that nice flavor but that hot sensation i don't like so i will take the chili to enjoy the flavor but i don't want that hot sensation is it going to happen no if you take the chili you are bound to have that hot sensation and that is absolute truth that's sri ramakrishna very nicely that the choice is there there are so many do's and don'ts whether i follow them or not my choice is there but once i have resorted to that the actions that follow that results that follow i have no choice over it you'll find the entire world with all its that when they say that all the foundations of religions are crumbling the science is now going to rule the world with all that science we will find just in 200 years we are in the precipice we don't know where to go i just was hearing a tech talk a wonderful tech talk they they started with that idea very nice idea that uh, the question that who is more civilized who are more civilized the aborigines or we who is more civilized naturally we all feel that such a big civilization and then after some silence he gives the answer that whatever civilization we may feel so much bragging about a civilization we forget just in 200 years we are going to annihilate ourselves we in the precipice global warming climate change and they were there for 60000 years so now you just say who is more civilized with their so called perennial values with the understanding with the nature they were there for 60000 means our history goes by we don't know how far they were they were sustaining themselves and we with all our this bragging of our present civilization in 200 years we find we are in the precipice we are about to just take a one more step farther and you know where you are you, your existence is gone you know you don't exist anymore so this is the idea of that vikarma that certain actions are forbidden forbidden not that if you do it's a matter of choice if you do you you personally you suffer or as a society you may find yes we have done some historical blunder we have done some historical blunder so that is vikarma but what is akarma akarma means inaction and karma means action now we may say that these two are again vikarma we have understood now karma and akarma are contradictory if i am acting i cannot be inactive when i'm inactive i cannot be active but here bhagwan brings the idea that in a karma you can and then we experience that in karma you can experience the akarma that when you are acting still you can experience that you are not acting in action 
When, how is this possible? If you become the divine worker. If you know it is a God who is working through you. Your body-mind complex is just working like an instrument. But you are always in tune with the divine, in communion. No one can break that, disturb that. So this idea when you know for certain, it is not just conceptual knowledge. You know as a realized truth. Know it for certain, you become the divine worker. Through you, the divine will be working. And when you enjoy the result of action from such a divine work, that is really like the nectar. Yagya, yagya shishtamrita, yagya ashishta, the remnants of yagya. That is something like nectar that will fulfill you. I will just give an example. When you know, this is a very nice example that what yagya, idea of yagya is. Does it mean something different type of action? No. It actually means change of orientation. The same action goes on. Our orientation changes. And then we start finding fulfillment in our life. Apparently, it may others may feel I'm suffering. But in the core of my being, I know I am fulfilled. In this world, happiness is most of the time an advertisement. When you are rich, you are prosperous, it is others who feel you are happy. You know from the core of your being how you are. Happiness is such a big advertisement. And sometimes even the so-called is religious man, many will be, nowadays uh, we will find the modern generation, which is sometimes is aversive to the word spirituality, religion. Why? Oh, that speaks of a lot of suffering, pain. Apparently it appears like that. Like this is the opposite. He do, they doesn't know that what's the inner joy is going through. I will give an example. When Goodwin, Swami Vivekananda's disciple, you know, when Swami Vivekananda used to deliver lectures in the West, he was just inspired. He never prepared lectures. He will just, he will stand whatever is coming from his inspiration, he just speaks on. And entire audience will be overwhelmed. They will be transported to some other level of consciousness. And now they started feeling, all this will be lost after all. What a treasure we are going to lose. So they thought of appointing some stenographer. In those days, there was no such way of record, this recording these lectures and all. So some stenographer was appointed so that he can take the notes of what Swami is saying. And this stenographer came for some remuneration, for salary. And in the process of taking notes, he became a devotee. He was taking notes of such a wonderful thing. So he was influenced. And he left, when Swami Vivekananda was returning to India, he also accompanied him. Simply left his hearth and home, he came to India, he died in India because of cholera in the south. So whatever it is, when he was with Swamiji, Swami Vivekananda himself now was having a lot of ailments. And he was personally serving him. And it was a sight, in those British time, it was a sight to see because you know, in the British time, it was the Europeans to whom you were serving, the so-called the Indians were serving. And to see some Indian being served by a white person, it was something unusual. But in a short time, someone discovered a fact that this Goodwin gets a salary, still gets a salary. And then there was a, this gossip started spreading that he is, after all, a paid worker. He gets some money for what he does. And at last, these words came to Goodwin's ears. Goodwin himself heard. What he told is something interesting. He told, yes, I do get some money from Swamiji. Swami Vivekananda, he gives me some remuneration. He knows that when I came back, from, when I came with him from England, my mother, who is a widow, she stays alone. No one is there to take care. I have just, uh, being inspired by Swamiji, I came. Swamiji, do give me some money to send it to her. And I do accept that. It is a necessity, I do that. But let no one think it is because for that remuneration, I do what I do. What I do is just, is an outpour of my heart. I just pour out my heart. So this is the attitude that we as, you know, that we are working. That you all have to work. If you take the work that way, that we have a family. We have to maintain the family, we have to maintain ourselves, we do take the salary. But we are not mercenaries, not for this salary I am giving that work to the society. So many others are as talented as me, but somehow 
the luck, the destiny didn't favor them. There are many. You may not think that we are the most, uh, the, the, the choicest ones. There are so many who are as talented as us, but most probably the destiny never favored them. They never got the scope to serve the society in the way you get the chance. And you can take it as a service. I'm serving. For my sustenance, I need money. I do take money, but I never equate that with that. That my work, this is the salary. So this much of work uh, is against that salary. I do nothing else. That becomes a mercenary attitude. But if I just take it as a scope, an opportunity that God has given me this opportunity, I pour out and for that whatever money comes, I do accept because I have to maintain myself. The same At the same time, what will happen? The same work we are doing. The same work we are doing, but the change of that attitude, now you will find you have grown some self-respect. You are respecting yourself. You, you have some sense of value, a sense of fulfillment, sense of bliss. And that is Karma Yoga. That's the idea of Karma Yoga. So become the divine worker. And then whatever you take, that the salary you get, that becomes Yajna Ashishta, Amrita. That's the nectar that you are enjoying after the service you give, whatever remains, that you do enjoy. That will give you fulfillment. That is going to give you fulfillment, bliss, joy, ecstasy. Otherwise, if you are mercenary, just for that, know it for certain, the life is going to totally drain you out. You get nothing out of it. You just become a selfish person, totally disassociated from others, full of concern, that nowadays they say very nicely they say that the so-called rich man so rich but has no happiness in life they say he is extremely poor he has nothing but money he has nothing else only money he has nothing else so he is extremely poor actually he has nothing except money so we don't want to be like that that here Bhagavan is showing us the way of that real inner fulfillment I still remember when our Seva Pratishthan Hospital, it, 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 it was uh, having its 75th anniversary. You know, in those days, the communists were ruling the West Bengal. Now the government has changed. So the health minister, the communist minister, they don't believe in God. They came to address the gathering. The Swamis were sitting. All the, about 300 Swamis uh, attended that program. Now the health minister, when he was delivering his lecture, Surya Kantar Mishra, I still remember, he suddenly, just the first sentence he told, you sadhus are very cunning, very cunning. So we thought, after all, from communists, we accept that type of sentence, most probably, after all, they don't believe in religion. Now it was an ironical statement. Why we are cunning? We all constantly think of ourselves and just see we have developed blood pressure, blood sugar, and you think of others, you are so happy. So that's the cunningness. So, sa chaturi chaturi. He was actually speaking the words of Bhagavan Krishna. The, that cunningness, that, that cunningness is the real cunningness. Sa chaturi chaturi. The one who knows that. That by thinking of others, the more, now it is in psychology, of, uh, they have started saying that if you are depressed, the first thing they say, you try to think of others. Please move out. Think of others' welfare. Don't be too self-centered. Try to forget yourself by thinking of others. We find the same idea Swami Vivekananda, when he came from, back from the West, he was, uh, some young boy came and told, I'm so sad, I don't know, always, I try to meditate, I every day close the doors and windows, and so that there is no noise, no disturbance, and try to meditate, but I cannot. And I find my mind is very much uh, disturbed, it is agitated. Swami Vivekananda told, will you listen to my words? Well, yes, of course, for that only I came. Well, the first thing you do first open the doors and windows move out see the people are suffering there is so much suffering go and do for them go do for them something and then you will find that one sardarji very nicely in one of the interfaiths very nicely he told that behind my name always i write god is nowhere and there is no space in that actually god is nowhere if you don't give any space now he says choice is yours where to give the space so most of us, as a default, we will think, oh, actually, he means God is nowhere. But if you know, if you just change the space, the same sentence becomes, God is now here. The God is nowhere becomes God is now here. You have to just change the space. God is now here. So Swami Vivekananda used to say the same thing. Don't seek God. See him. He's just in front of you. 
it is just the the i worship that god whom the ignorant calls man i worship that god whom the ignorant calls man he is not a man he is not an ordinary human being he is it's the same divine spark is in you is in me the holy mother used to say that when will you know that you have become uh, illumined when you know that the one who resides in me resides in you resides in the lowliest and the lowly the dule bagdir moddhe jini then you know that you have attained that knowledge the same thing in different words they are saying so that's the idea when you have seen the self in all the question of inaction doesn't come you can still act and enjoy the contemplation still in the world of action knowing very well that it's just the flow the world is a flow my body mind complex is a flow i am not in the flow i am sitting in the bank and enjoying the flow i am not drenched by it so that's the idea this yagya shishtanda this fourth chapter will end with the idea of parampara that this knowledge is not something which you can just uh, uh, read from the books or hear once and think that i have attained you have to attain this knowledge from an authentic source the one who has experimented this uh, with this knowledge in his own life has transformed himself overhauled his personality and has become established in this knowledge know from such a person and then this knowledge uh, will be something fruitful in your life and you also become a source house of that knowledge as jesus also in the bible the same thing he says that no one keeps a lamp under the shed lamp is always have to be kept on a pedestal you have to keep it on a pedestal so that it can light everyone so if really our heart gets enlightened naturally you also become the source of illumination from others and this is an induction process that goes on with that the fourth chapter will end so this as an overall a view of the fourth chapter which we tried to today just uh, enumerate so in the next class we will start sloka by sloka studying the entire fourth chapter so with this we stop for discussion today thank you all namaskars